Well, hey there, podcast listeners. Today we have a special treat because I'm joined on this episode by Alan Parr, a good friend of mine, and uh, the guy who runs The Beat. You've probably seen a lot of his videos uh, on PursueGod.org. We've got over two dozen of his videos. And this particular podcast we're doing is also going to be on his channel in video form. We're going to put a post for it in PursueGod so that you can have this conversation. So first of all, Alan, thanks for joining us on, uh, on the show. Hey, Brian, thank you so much. Um, really looking forward to today's podcast and uh, sharing with uh, uh, the listeners uh, what God has to say in this exciting story. Okay, so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7, but before we even get into that, Alan, the, the title for today's episode is How to Overcome the Guilt of My Sexual Past, and I guess we should just address the elephant in the room is that a thing for a lot of young Christians today that they have a sexual past, or is that just something that non-believers deal with? Well, I think it's a real issue, uh, particularly in our culture today, where there's you know this this sexual freedom. There's so many different sexual sins that I think uh, people can get into, whether it's masturbation, whether it's pornography that's so accessible today on our mobile devices. Uh, and then, of course, you have sex before marriage, but then now you got to add to the equation same sex relationships that seem to be you know more prevalent today so uh, I think it 's kind of a foregone conclusion a lot of times that if you have someone that 's in their mid twenties or late twenties, sadly the uh, majority of them probably have had some sexual experience, and if they love Jesus, they probably are experiencing some sort of guilt or shame over that. Yeah, so, you know, I think there might even be some new believers or some people who aren't quite even Christians yet listening to this saying, hold, hold on a second, what are you saying? Are you guys saying that it's it's wrong to have sex before you get married? Let's let's just kind of address that real quick before we get into the story. <laughs> yeah, so, um, you know, there, it's funny, when I was growing up, you know, I was only told that you shouldn't have sex because you don't want to get someone pregnant and you also don't want to get some sort of disease. But if that's all we tell our children, this is a whole nother subject we could talk about another time, but yeah. if that's all we tell our children. Most of the time, kids are going to figure out how to get around that. Just going to wear a condom or get on the pill or something like that. But what's not discussed a lot of times is a lot of the emotional damage and the emotional baggage that comes along with having sex before marriage. I mean, everything from, um, you know, feeling guilt and shame, as we're going to talk about today, but having low self-esteem, that's huge, particularly with when it comes to young young women, when they think about, man, I have to share how many men I've slept with, with my future husband, mm -hmm. and is he going to accept me? Is he going to love me still? Is he going to think I'm, you know, differently of me or whatnot? And, and then all of the different baggage that we bring into our marriages when we start to try to compare our spouses with other people we've been with, and it's just, it can just create a huge problem when we don't do things God's way. So, God obviously wants us to abstain uh, and be sexually pure for a reason. Yeah, and and I will say we you know we're categorizing this one on our site under emotions, but it really could be categorized under a million places. But it you know we really are talking about the guilt of a sexual past, and I think Alan guilt is guilt is a good word for this, and I, I like I always like to draw this this um, difference between guilt and shame and condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's on one side, guilt, shame, condemnation. That's, let's call that the bad, the bad emotion. But on the other side, I think there's conviction. And when you, when you feel a sense of conviction, Holy Spirit conviction, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. 
Exactly. Right. I mean, I don't think God wants us to be walking around feeling as though we're going to go to hell because we've committed a certain sin or God doesn't love us or we've committed, you know, for whatever reason, the unforgivable sin. I get a lot of emails. People are worried that they've committed unforgivable sin or whatnot. And so, uh, as you said, I think conviction is a healthy experience that we have through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we should thank God for that because that keeps us from making more bad decisions and bad choices, but it's, I don't believe God wants us to walk around, you know, feeling unworthy and, and condemned over our sin. Yeah. But he also, and, and, you know, he says this in John eight, he says to the, to the woman caught in adultery, he basically, you know, loved her and didn't condemn her and, and really kind of called out the sin in the Pharisees lives. But then at the end of the day, he said, go and sin no more. So I think the message, and we'll get to this, but the message is, well, you don't just want to overcome the guilt of your sexual past. You actually want to overcome the the sexual habits maybe that you've gotten into that aren't God-honoring, like pornography or having sex with with someone outside of marriage. Exactly, because the quickest way to increase or add more guilt to your sexual past is to keep doing the same thing over and over again, because you know if we if we receive God's forgiveness and his grace and mercy in our lives— then we can kind of move on and move forward in a path of holiness and purity. But if we keep doing the same thing, that's just going to that's just going to perpetuate our feelings of guilt and shame again and again and again, and it's going to make it even worse. Yeah, and so really, and this is really good, Alan. We're gonna—I promise everybody—we're getting to the text. But before we do, again, this message then is num- number one for people who have have us have a past that they feel guilty. We're going to give you some really practical ways to deal with that and to have hopefully freedom moving forward. But I think secondly, there might be some listeners who maybe you're young enough that you haven't yet crossed some of those lines and some of those boundaries. Boy, I hope you'll keep listening because one of the greatest things, one of the greatest testimonies I think you could have is that God, by his power, that he saved you from really even stepping across some of those boundaries. And, and so I hope everyone will keep listening to this because this, this message really applies to, to all people. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and also a big difference is we need to make sure we our our young people understand the difference between abstinence and sexual purity. And uh, you know, a lot of times people confuse those two and think abstinence, well, it's the same thing. No, you can be abstinent, Technically, you're not having intercourse, mm-hmm. but you could be doing all sorts of other things, looking at pornography, masturbating, you know, making out with your girlfriend, you know, fondling, all sorts of different things. Oral sex is a big thing today. Mm. Uh, and you can think, oh, well, I haven't gone all the way, so therefore I'm, um, I'm abstinent. But sexual purity is a whole different deal. Yeah, and yeah, that's good. And it's not, again, it's not just the physical thing, all those things you listed, and then to include actually having intercourse, but it's also, like you said, it's an emotional thing. It's also a, um, you know, it's a relational thing. So it's, it's an attitude thing. It's a heart thing. You know, God, Jesus said all the time in the, in, in the gospels, he said, Hey, I, it's not just about what's going on on the outside of your life. It's also what's going on on the inside, in your mind, in your thought life, in your spiritual life, in, in everything. Exactly. Okay, so, so Alan, in this story, let's, let's get into the story, and then what you're going to do for us is you're going to break down uh, two, two people and their responses. The sinful woman, and then there's another guy in the story, the self-righteous man, and I encourage people as you're listening to this to identify which one are you, 
you know, you, maybe you're both, uh, but maybe at different periods in your life, you, you react like more like one or the other. So what's the story real quick? And then let's break it down, Alan. Yeah, so this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible, actually. And for those of you who may not be familiar with kind of the differences between the Gospels, just very quickly, the Gospel of Luke is unique in that it highlights Jesus' love for groups that are considered outcasts. So those would be lepers, Samaritans, tax collectors, sinful people, prostitutes. And some stories that are found in Luke are not found in other Gospels because Uh, Once again, Luke's focus in writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit was to highlight Jesus' love for these groups. And so today's story is one such story where Jesus is having an encounter uh, with this woman who we believe has a sexual past through prostitution. So basically the setting of the story is, and you can see this in verses 36 all the way up through 40, somewhere around there, is that there is this self-righteous man named Simon. He's a Pharisee. And uh, for those of you who don't know what Pharisees are, those are people that were really religious, following every single detail of the law, and they saw themselves as being better or more spiritual than everyone else whom they deemed as sinners. And so he's inviting Jesus over to his home, more than likely for them to have some sort of theological discussion between some, uh, you know, between uh, Jesus, this self-proclaimed rabbi, and this Pharisee Simon. He's got guests that are there. They're looking forward to this. These two uh, heavyweights going at it, talking to one another about theological discussions or whatnot. And lo and behold, out of nowhere, in comes this woman who clearly is believed to have a sexual past. And she breaks up their party. And um, and it's very interesting how Jesus responds to her. And that's basically the setting of the story. And we'll get into kind of how he responds here in just a minute. Yeah, and I think it's in a spoiler alert. I think it's interesting that the first words in the story are spoken to the the self righteous man, and it's, so it's interesting because I think a lot of us, you know, people who go to church and feel pretty good about ourselves. It's so easy to look at other people and think, well, I'm better than that guy. I'm better than that mm-hmm. guy. And I think even just everyone listening to this, I hope that you're not thinking about someone else right now. I hope you're, I hope you're not thinking, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this, and they might need to hear this. But I hope first and foremost you'd, you'd examine the log in your own eye before you help someone else with the speck in theirs. Okay, so let's talk about what the sinful woman's response was. What did, what did she do? What was the kind of the heart in her attitude? Yeah, so uh, the first thing that we see in terms of how she responded to Jesus was that she was very sorrowful, and that is evidenced by her intense weeping and crying. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, as I studied this passage out, the Greek word that's used here for her weeping is actually the same word that's used for rain showers. And so, uh, you know, Luke is trying to explain to us that this wasn't just her her, um, you know, just being upset to some small degree. I mean, she was weeping and sobbing over her sin. Matter of fact, uh, Martin Luther calls it heart water, which is a very interesting word picture to describe her response. And so I think that, you know, the first way that we can really start to overcome our guilt and our shame of our past is to really absorb it, to own it, to understand that, you know what, man, this is, these are some mistakes that I've made that have really hurt the heart of God and not just sweep it under the rug, not just ignore it, but just simply really be sorrowful over our sin. Because the Bible says that godly sorrow 
leads us or produces repentance. Yeah, and I think a lot of people listening might right now be thinking, I don't know if I can do that. And and it's true, this is the first step. If you're not willing to sort of step in to your sin and own it and and really be willing to grieve it, then you're not going to be able to move on like this woman did. And you'll get stuck in your sin. And and I just want to encourage you, if you're there, I know that's a scary step to take. But take a hint from this passage. Jesus, the good news is, is he's always willing to receive us. You know, First John says that if we repent, our, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so it's not like a relationship with someone else in your life where they might hold a grudge forever. God doesn't hold grudges. If you turn to him with this repentant, sorrowful, grief-filled heart, he is sure to embrace you. He's not going to reject you. So what's interesting is that not only does she express her gratitude to Jesus through sorrowful tears and whatnot, but she's also very sacrificial. You know, we can see here in this story that she takes this alabaster jar of perfume and she breaks it and she uses that to anoint Jesus's feet. And so for those of us in the 21st century, that doesn't mean anything to us. But if you go back and you do a little bit of research, you'll see that this was this was a jar of perfume that was estimated to be worth 300 denarii, which once again, for us, doesn't mean anything. But that's actually believed to be about a year's worth of wages. So when you think about that, think about how many of us would be that appreciative where we would be willing to sacrifice an entire year's worth of our wages for Jesus to show him how grateful we are for how much he's forgiven us and how much mercy he's had on us. And so I think one of the ways we can overcome our guilt and shame, we can't go back and change anything that we've done in our past. That's that's done, that's buried. But what we can do is spend the rest of our lives showing Jesus how much we appreciate his favor and his forgiveness by just sacrificing and giving him our absolute best and not just giving him our leftovers. Yeah, and I think that means in a few ways, right? So obviously, number one, it should impact the way we look at our money and our giving, right? Mm -hmm. But I think number two, maybe it's also it should impact the way we serve, right? The way we the way we look outward and serve other people. And I know that's the third point in in the response for this woman is she didn't just sacrifice for Jesus, but she was also, you know, financially, but she was also willing to serve him. Absolutely. Yeah. When you think about all the things that she she's she did, I actually made a joke about this and said that this woman had a foot fetish because everything <laughs> she did with Jesus was related to his feet somehow. I mean, the Bible says that she she wet his feet with her tears, which when you just think about that right there, that's amazing because she must have been crying so much that she was able to use her tears to wet her wet his feet. But then she used her hair to wipe his feet and then she kissed his feet. And then she anointed his feet, as I said a moment ago, and perfumed his feet with with um, with this alabaster jar of perfume. And so once again, what we see here is that she didn't just do the bare minimum. And I think that's one of the things that many of us do when we serve God. It's like, okay, God, if this is the bare minimum, I can just do this so I can say that I served you or I'm active in church or whatnot. But she went so far above and beyond what was expected, as we're going to see later, as this is uh, her as her actions are contrasted with this self-righteous man named Simon who barely did anything when Jesus came into his home. So I think once again, we can show Jesus how much we're appreciative by just committing to a life of service, but not just any service, 
like going above and beyond and giving them our absolute best. Yeah, and so how is that different, the, the foot thing, how is that different than if she would have anointed his head? Because Jesus refers to that when he talks to the Pharisee. He says, you wouldn't even anoint my head, and she's with, with just regular oil, but she's anointing my feet with this expensive, expensive perfume. What is, that, what is he talking about there? I think that it shows uh, a form of humility, right? I mean, if somebody's willing to bow down and anoint your feet or wash your feet, I'm actually thinking about how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, right? And and so that showed that, wow, here is the, the Savior of the universe, the Savior uh, and God, the creator of all things. And yet he was willing to bend down and get down on his knees and wash someone else's feet. I mm-hmm. think that's that's like one of the, the the most humble things you could possibly do. I don't know why, but you yeah. know, people don't want to mess with someone else's feet. So the fact that she was willing to do that, um, I think, spoke to her humility and her appreciation. Yeah, and especially back then, because you you know you didn't have Nikes and Reeboks back then. So <laughs> I don't know about your feet, Alan, but my feet are pretty nasty. But I think two thousand years ago, my feet would be even more nasty. And so it really is. It's the ultimate sign of servanthood and submission. And it's kind of like a Dirty Jobs episode. Exactly. Yeah. And, and once again, guys, one of the, the most exciting things about studying the Bible is being able to go back and try to understand some of the culture and different things. Yeah. So during those days, they were walking around with open-toed shoes on dusty roads. So now put that in context for this woman kissing his feet, anointing his feet. He probably had dirt all through his toenails. I mean, just this... That showed extreme humility and servanthood, as you said. Okay, so she was sorrowful, she was sacrificial, she was a servant, and your final S is that she was willing to surrender. She was willing to surrender, yeah. I mean, obviously we don't know much about what this woman's life looked like after this, but there is a sense in the text that seems to suggest that she was ready to turn her life around. She was ready to turn her back completely on this life of prostitution that we believe she was involved in and go in a completely different direction. And so once again, I think the easiest way for us to show Jesus that we appreciate him is not to continue doing the same thing again and again and again. I think it's easy for us to say, okay, I'm going to show you how much I love you, God, by not returning to that sin anymore so that I don't create more guilt, as we mentioned earlier. Okay, now again, I want to just pause for a second the people who are listening to this, I just want you to ask yourself and we'll, we'll have some questions down below it and at pursuegod.org for this. Are, are you in for dealing with your sexual past? Are you willing to number one, be sorrowful? Number two, be sacrificial. Number three, be a servant. And number four, then really surrender yourself, not just for your past, but for your future, surrender yourself to Jesus. I, I really encourage you to talk about this with a mentor, with the group. Maybe you're going to go through this topic with someone. But to contrast that, Alan, now, let's talk about the the self-righteous man or the Pharisee. This is the religious guy that that is looking down his nose at this woman. And some people listening to this might say, I know that guy. I have that guy in my life, <laughs> right? But some people listening to this might have to admit that you have been that person, or maybe you are that person. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I love this story. And I think Jesus was just a master storyteller and Um, this is one of the amazing stories in the New Testament because it is very, very easy for those, uh, you know, people who have not struggled with sexual sin to automatically assume that they are somehow holier than thou or above or more spiritual than those who have because of how 
sexual sin is perceived within the Christian circles. It's just perceived as like the, the worst sin you could possibly do, right? So for those who don't do it have a temptation or a tendency, possibly, if they're not careful, to think that they're better off. And then, and this is the situation with this guy, and Jesus hits him right between the eyes with, uh, with the truth. Yeah, and I'll confess, Alan, that I was that guy in early college, you know, because I, I, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a porn addiction. I didn't masturbate. I, I hadn't had sex. I was sexually pure. And I had a friend ask me, a, a girl actually, she, who I helped to lead to faith. And I think she didn't have that clean of a past. And I'm not really sure why she asked me this. If she was wondering if she was still in play for me, I'm not sure. But she actually said to me, I still remember this. She said, would you, would you marry someone who's not a virgin? And you know what's funny, Alan, is I said to her at the time, of course I would because of the grace of God. God's grace is for all of us. And, and I'm a sinner just like, just like anyone, just because I haven't crossed that line. But, but Alan, in my heart, I didn't really believe those words. Mm, I yeah. said those words on the outside because I knew that was the right biblical answer. But in my heart, I didn't really believe those words. And I just really want to challenge anyone who feels that way out there. Um, Boy, if you don't, if you don't, and this, this is what we're going to get to, Alan, if you don't understand that you are just as much of a sinner as the person who's done some of those things that you're proud that you haven't done, I think you, you've missed the message of grace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what, a, what a great um, testimony that you have of how God kept you uh, in, in the midst of um, a sexually perverse culture. And it's amazing that we're talking today because I had the exact opposite past. I wasn't promiscuous in terms of getting around and, and, and doing everything and sleeping with a whole bunch of women, but I did have those struggles in my life, um, you know, sexual struggles in college and whatnot, even going back through high school. So, um, you know, I, I can relate very well with this woman who received the grace of God um, and the forgiveness of God, which is, I think, the reason why this particular story, um, you know, touches my heart and speaks so loudly to me in my life. So let's go through these three responses then of the of the self-righteous man, Alan, because again, some people listening can relate maybe to your past and your story. Some people can relate to mine. And and those that can relate to mine, I think you need to really look in the mirror, just like just like the first set of people had to. You need to look at the mirror and say, are the any of these three things uh, you know, present in my response to either a person like this or to Jesus himself? And the first one is that that this Pharisee was unwelcoming. Yeah, so, uh, you know, looking in this text, uh, the Bible says that the Pharisee, whenever he saw that Jesus was allowing this sinful woman to touch him and kiss his feet and massage his feet or whatever she was doing, he thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, so already he's questioning whether Jesus is a prophet already, so he's he's judging Jesus's credentials and Jesus being a prophet in general, but then he also judges this woman as well and says, if Jesus was a prophet, he would know who is touching him. And here it is, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Mm. She's a sinner, not me. Yeah. But he, he categorizes her as the sinner, which, which like we're going to get to this in a moment, he's unaware of his own sin, but he's unwelcoming, right? He, he doesn't welcome people into his life that maybe struggle with different sins than he does. And I think that's a struggle for a lot of us. And, you know, 
uh, it doesn't matter what our sin is. When we see someone that struggles with something different than we do, we sometimes struggle to welcome them, right? If I'm a heterosexual man, but I'll be honest with you. I'll be totally honest with you. Like I struggle to welcome a homosexual man or a homosexual woman because I don't relate to that particular struggle. And it's easy for me to be like, I don't know if I really want to welcome that person into my home or into my life or into my space. And I think that's what this guy, Simon, was dealing with. Yeah, and I, I like that you even mentioned that uh, maybe the first you, because we can add f- a fourth one here. The first you is that he was unbelieving. Like you said, he he was actually, he was so sure of his perspective on what mm-hmm. faith is about and what religion is about and maybe what God is about. He was so sure that he wasn't even sure Jesus was a prophet, right? right. And uh, what hubris that he would that he would even propose that. So you see he was unbelieving and unwelcoming. And then the, th- the third thing you say, and you've already touched on this, is that he was, he was unaware. He was clueless. And I, I think self-awareness is something that I realize now at my age now that I didn't have when I, in, in early college, right? I was not self-aware. I was aware of other people's sins, but not mine. Yeah, and that's exactly what Jesus highlights here with this parable. And 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 by the way, this is a good lesson for Bible students all over who are listening to this. Jesus seldom, if ever, really told parables without there being some sort of catalyst or some sort of reason. He didn't just go around telling stories. He told parables oftentimes to prove a point. And everything that we looked at before was the background to this parable that he's getting ready to tell. And uh, and so basically to sum up the parable, we don't have to read it, but he's basically saying, hey, Simon, let me tell you something. Two people owe somebody money and uh, one guy owes this guy 500 denarii and the other guy owes him 50. And so he asks Simon this very simple question. Uh, Neither one of them were able to repay. And that's the key to this story is that even though one owed 500 and the other owed 50, neither one of one of them were in a position to be able to pay this guy back. They both were in need of grace and mercy. And he says, hey, uh, you know, which one would love this guy more if he forgave both of their debt? And obviously, if you have any sense, Simon's going to answer as he did and say, well, I guess the guy that got forgiven the 500 denarii. And uh, basically, Jesus' point here is that, yeah, you're right. So people who have been forgiven much will love much. And he's basically saying, um, you know, to Simon that, hey, it's not that this woman is a 500 denarii sinner and you're a 50 denarii sinner. It's the fact that she understands that she is a sinful woman and you don't. You see yourself as just a 50 denarii sinner, which is why you don't love much. But this woman really understands the depth of her sin, which is why she's sorrowful. She's weeping. She's sacrificial. She's servant. She's surrendering her life. And that's why she is reacting to me the way she is. And if you would be in touch with your sin, then you would be having the same reaction. So he's he's unaware that he is just as much a sinner as she is because he doesn't understand his own sin because it's more internal and hers is more external. Well, and also, like you mentioned already, he doesn't understand that he can't pay back his sin. He under, he understands that she can't pay back hers, but he doesn't realize that he can't pay back his. And I think that's a trap. If you, you know, that's a religion trap. Is if you if you think that you have it in your own ability to pay back your sin, what whatever level sin, 
If you think you have it in your own ability to pay back your sin, you have missed the message of the Bible. You have missed the gospel. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says that all that we've all sinned and nobody can pay it back, right? That it is by grace through faith that we're saved, all of us not by our own work, so that no one can boast about it. And so this guy had this, this misconception. He was unaware that he was just as impoverished spiritually as she was. And I think, uh, and that's a great lesson for everyone to learn. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, we don't want to get into, um, you know, uh, comparing one sin is better than the other or higher than the other, but you could actually make an argument that this sin of pride that this man was walking in is a greater sin than her sin because sexual sin can be isolated. You're not walking in sexual sin 24 hours a day. I mean, you, you may commit a sexual sin on Monday and you may not do it for another month. You, you know, you may watch pornography on Tuesday and you may be free for three months. It's a sin and it is a grave sin and, and it hurts the heart of God. But it's normally not something that someone is walking in around the clock. But pride is something that we could be living in and walking in constantly. And it can manifest itself in so many ways, thinking that we're better than other people, better than another race of people, better than people who um, you don't have the educational status as we do, um, you know, just not being willing to ask for forgiveness, not being willing to say, I'm sorry, when we offend people. I mean, pride can just really and truly roar its ugly head. And when we think about the first sin in the Bible is the sin of pride when Lucifer wanted to be like God. And that was the sin that led him uh, to being excluded from, from heaven. So I think that pride is one of those things that we should not minimize. And we need to understand that, man, pride is just as sinful as any sexual sin could ever be. Yeah, and one of the one of the manifestations of pride and arrogance in your heart is your last point about the Pharisee, and it's that he was unappreciative. Yeah, exactly. You know, obviously, uh, there were some things that this guy was supposed to do whenever any guest would come into his home. You're supposed to, in those days, you're supposed to give them some water to refresh themselves so they could, well, actually, you're supposed to get one of your servants to you're you're supposed to actually wash your servants feet or excuse me your guests feet but then worse than that if you if you don't want to do that you're supposed to get one of your servants in your house to wash your guests feet but this guy didn't do anything he just said jesus come on in he didn't even get he didn't even consider that he didn't give jesus a kiss and in those days that'd be similar to like a handshake or you know high five or hey man how you doing he was just very very unappreciative that jesus the savior the king of kings the messiah would take the time to to be in his house and to engage him in discussions. And so I think uh, one of the ways that we can express self-righteousness is just not being appreciative at all of God's grace. And once again, that's natural if you don't think that you're a sinner. Yeah, that's such a rich story. So I want to encourage you listeners, if you haven't read this passage, go to Luke chapter 7, read this, really prayerfully consider this and ask yourself, which person am I in the, in the story? Am I, am I this, this woman who really had the right response or am I the self-righteous man who had the wrong response? And if you want to find this video, Alan did a great video on this. You can find this uh, linked to this particular podcast episode and check him out at The Beat on YouTube. We'll also put the post and discussion questions on PursueGod.org so that you can talk about this with your family, with your group or your mentor. And so I hope that you will you will apply this lesson to your own life and really walk in victory. If you have 
um, struggled with the guilt of your sexual past, you don't have to do that anymore. Jesus wants to set you free.